Good morning. Last week we began our fall preaching series from the book of Daniel to explore uh, what this idea of faithful presence uh, is all about. And we began uh, with an example of what faithful presence might look like here and now in 2017 through a dialogue with uh, a guy by the name of Ross Baird. And if you weren't here last week, I just encourage you to um, check out that conversation. There's both audio available as well as video on our website. Uh, it's just a really great way, great conversation, I think, to kind of ground and orient our work uh, throughout this story and this book for the next um, eight weeks or so. And as Thomas mentioned last week, and I know this might come as some surprise to you, uh, Christians haven't always agreed upon uh, the same model for engaging with the world and the culture around us. Throughout history, we've seen some um, be uh, defensive against culture. Uh, there have been some who have tried to be overly relevant to the culture. Uh, and still others we've seen who have, um, for the sake of purity, tried to withdraw from culture, right? To be pure from, from culture. Uh, faithful presence within the world and within our culture is a model for engaging um, with the world in which we are, are placed and situated uh, that's neither hostile nor, I think, um, uh, with, withdrawal uh, from, the, from the culture. And we're getting this model from the life and witness of Daniel. And Daniel is the exemplar for faithful presence because he, uh, he finds a way to maintain his integrity as a follower of the God of Israel Right? He really stands his ground when and where he must. And then also, though, at other times, we see that he uh, is willing to kind of navigate the systems and the institutions of this strange new land of Babylon, um, making compromises at times, compromises that, in fact, might make us a little uncomfortable. They're a little messy. Uh, but he's doing all of this to seek the good of the city in which he now resides. Uh, millennia after Daniel... British missionary and theologian Leslie Newbegin was writing about uh, how Christians should engage with their culture. And here's what, here's what he wrote. You can throw that first quote up there. He said that Christianity as a social phenomenon has always and necessarily been conditioned as to its outward form by other social facts. Right? So Christianity as a social phenomenon has always and necessarily been conditioned as to its outward form by other social facts. That is a mouthful. Uh, Leslie, but what he's saying, right, what he's saying is that Christianity has always been tangled up in the world um, that, it's been, that it's been in, tangled up into the culture, and that culture is always going to have an effect on, on uh, Christian witness, always. Now, when he was writing this in 1941, which is probably why it's as verbose as it is, uh, the primary social fact conditioning Christianity uh, was that the church in the West had contributed at this time to the formation of a dominant culture, right? The church was actually in power. And this dominant culture left a deep imprint of Christian values and Christian languages and expectations regarding our moral behavior. And as a result, for better, and I think we also have to admit for, for worse at times, the church in America exercised influence on the broader uh, culture, but as we said uh, a time again from the pulpit, and I know that you've experienced this as well, this is becoming less and less true. And um, I think just like Daniel, Christians are trying to understand how uh, exactly to be a faithful presence in the world that God has called us to um, in a land that might be becoming a little bit more strange to us. 
So this morning, I just want to fill out a little bit more about what this idea of faithful presence is all about, and, um, and then to uh, just briefly talk about a virtue that I think is necessary for us to embody it here and now in 2017. So our text is Daniel 1, uh, verses 3 through 17. But before we read, I just, I just want to invite you to just take a moment um, to be quiet and to prepare yourself uh, for, for the word to be read this morning. There's a lot of noise around us and within us, and we carry that noise everywhere we go. And the issue with that noise is that it tends to crowd out the holy. So I just want us to take a moment, let's be quiet, and let's ask that God might reveal God's word to us this morning as we read from the book of Daniel. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz. I'm so glad that that's the last time I have to say that today. Um, That's just a hard name. Uh, To bring some of the Israelites, the royal family, and the nobility. Young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years, so that at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. And the palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your own age, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Gracious God, we're here seeking a word that only you can say. Speak to us, for we are listening. Amen. I was joking with a friend this week that I could have alternatively titled this sermon, How to Survive the Apocalypse. 
Um, if you're paying attention to the news right now, you might feel as if things are falling apart. You really might. Just in the last two months, right? Since the middle of August, we have uh, witnessed emboldened white supremacists uh, taking to the streets in broad daylight without hoods. Uh, we have witnessed catastrophic hurricanes and floods uh, Near and far, we've seen a massive earthquake shake our brothers and sisters in Mexico. And just last week, uh, only one year since the last deadliest mass shooting, we witnessed the deadliest mass shooting in our history, leaving 59 dead and 500 injured. Um, I hope that you are making space for yourself to feel the grief of these events to resist uh, becoming numb to uh, the next terrible breaking news headline. It's really important for us to do that because that grief is called empathy. And uh, empathy is what leads us to compassion and it's from the place of compassion that we can act. So I, I hope that you are finding time to take care of yourself, to feel that grief and to not become numb. Uh, as I was reflecting on the, the goings-on recently, I, I was reminded this week of a sermon delivered by St. Augustine in the 4th century uh, that I think both captures our cultural moment as well as uh, this idea of faithful presence pretty well. So he, he wrote this, and you can throw that second quote up there. Bad times, troublesome times, this men are saying, let our lives be good and the times are good. We make our times. Such as we are, such are the times. Um, I don't know how you react to that quote, but I'll tell you a couple of the reactions that I had. The first was, um, and, I, and I really don't mean to be cynical here, things have kind of always been falling apart, right? I mean, even a, a, a brief cursory glance at history will reveal that we are two threads away from this whole thing becoming unraveled. And while we have uh, experienced within history relative times of ease and peace, like if you, if you look at different periods of history, you will find uh, something very similar to this. Um, and I, I don't say that to kind of gaslight um, the serious issues that we are being presented with. I don't mean to kind of normalize um, some of the conversations we're having and the things that we're witnessing, uh, nor am I trying to diminish like our role in actually building a better world. Uh, quite the opposite, because the second thing that this uh, quote speaks to me is that um, we are not bystanders in history. We are actors. We're actors. And I think that um, even when things are falling apart, that we have decisions to make, right? About building the kind of world that we want to live in. And so I find this quote to be remarkably hopeful. Um, such as our lives are, such are the times. Which brings us back to Daniel. Um, throughout this series, we're going to see how Daniel practices faithful presence in a time in his life and in the life of Israel that things had really fallen apart. The, uh, the label that we put on the prophetic writing that talks about the destruction of Jerusalem is apocalyptic. That's what we call it. That's how bad it was. Um, 
for Daniel's own life and for the life of Israel. I mean, he had been taken out of his home and placed into a rival and political enemy's uh, uh, empire and asked to serve it. When the prophet uh, Jeremiah wrote to refugees in Babylon like Daniel to kind of help them make sense of their exile, he basically told them two things. The first thing he told them was, you're going to be there a while, like generations. Uh, no insurrection is going to liberate you from this. You're going to be there a while. And the second thing that he tells them is that exile is not a sign of God's abandonment, but it's actually the place that God is going to work. Exile is not the sign of your abandonment, but the place that God will work. And so he tells them to seek the welfare of the city, to actually build the kind of world in which they too can flourish as refugees. While they're there, knowing that their welfare is now going to be caught up and bound to the welfare of Babylon. These aren't easy words from the prophet. And I, I think that no one embodies the spirit more than Daniel. And in the text we've just read, we discover that Daniel and his friends are among some of the best and the brightest of the people of Israel. They're handsome, they're smart, they're competent, and they're capable of leadership. And what happens is that they're taken and they're re-educated in Babylonian culture and in language. They're given these new names, and they're put on a specific diet. And it's like here where Daniel draws the line, which is interesting. It's like everything else is like fine, but like I'm not going to eat that food. Um, and it's puzzling, right? Because at first glance, we might assume that what Daniel is trying to do is to obey the dietary laws given to the people of Israel. But this is not very clear because there's nothing in the law that would actually restrict the people of Israel from drinking uh, wine unless they'd taken a, a Nazarite vow, which we, Daniel has not done. And we also know that later in Daniel's life, he's going he's gonna to eat all the food. Uh, this is like a very temporary uh, thing. So it's puzzling like why he chooses this as the point of his resistance. Why does Daniel refuse to eat the king's food? And what can we learn from faithful, uh, about faithful presence from it? So here's one possible reason. Uh, remember, the process of formation that, that uh, Babylon was putting Daniel and all of his friends through was designed right, to strip them of their identity, to, uh, to kind of erase who they were before so that at this point they can kind of give all of their allegiance to Babylon. And so I think that refusing to eat the royal food was this very small practice to remind them who they were and uh, as followers of the God of Israel and to trust that God would be faithful to them. Remember that Babylon is doing all of this so that Babylon can take the credit for how, how uh, competent and how wise, how well-educated, and, and their appearance, their robust appearance. Babylon is trying to kind of co-opt all of that and say, look at what we've done for you. And Daniel and his friends are using this very small act of resistance to remind them who they really are and to hope that actually God is the one who is going to bring them through this process. If they could thrive on a sparse diet of vegetables, then they would give thanks and praise to God and not to Babylon. Here's what's complicated even more about this, and I think what's important for us as we develop a practice of faithful presence. This small act of resistance is not public, it's private, right? They don't announce this to anyone other than the palace master. They are not on food strike. 
Um, they're not uh, protesting really publicly. They are uh, uh, essentially, even when they're taken to the king, and they, they're presented as, young, as uh, better and fatter than everyone else, um, they don't take the credit for it. They let the king take the credit for it. It's really, really puzzling. Daniel quietly asks the palace master to change their diet, and when the palace master initially declines, Daniel doesn't grow defensive, uh, hostile. He doesn't uh, grow resentful. He just changes his strategy uh, to get what he is trying to accomplish. And the point that I'm trying to make from this and what I think this text is leading us to believe is that integrity, not difference, is the key to faithful presence. Integrity, not difference, is the key to faithful presence. Here's the difference, right? One is a virtue, and the other is just an accident of history, right? If Daniel had gone on food strike to show how different he and his friends were, just to make a point to the king and make a point to everyone there, he would have risked alienating himself from the king, and he would have risked the possibility of leadership and influence later on. But because his focus was not on just being different for different sake, but on just maintaining his integrity, he creatively finds a way to maintain his integrity and to continue to serve the interests of the king, knowing that in serving the king's interests, he will be serving the, the refugees' interest, his own interests as well. This is messy. It's, it's a little complex. But I think it's as important for us as it, as it was for Daniel. Right? If we live with integrity to kind of who we are and what we're called to be, there are bound to be times and occasions when we're going to differ with the culture around us. We're going to disagree with uh, our, our government. We're going to disagree with our colleagues. We're going to disagree with our neighbors. Um, we're going to find points of difference, right? Since not everyone shares our, our, our theological beliefs and convictions, and since those convictions are supposed to inform how we live, <laughs> our ethics, um, we're going to find times that we are really uh, uh, going to come up in real difference to the culture around us. But the point is that only sometimes, not always, not always, there will be plenty of times when uh, we're actually going to be able to, to find ourselves uh, able to seek the good alongside others who don't share our beliefs or convictions. Right? This is what this event, Q Commons, in just a few weeks is all about finding ways for us to seek the good alongside the members of our community who might not share uh, our core commitments or beliefs. And we can do this all the while maintaining our integrity. For example, um, here's another example. You're going to find all kinds of examples of ways for you to cooperate and to compromise within our society and culture without sacrificing your integrity or without just trying to be different. Right? I read this week of the growing public health risks of isolation and loneliness. Doctors are like really worried about this. Um, it's, a, it's bad for your health to live in isolation. Christians don't need to develop a different take on this. Like We don't need our own white paper on this. We know this. Right? Friendships and relationships are vital parts of human flourishing. Um, it's kind of like the whole point of... God looking at him and being like, mm, nope, you're alone. This isn't good. We don't need to develop another take. We can add our voice to that and say, yeah, we, we want to work towards creating a society where isolation and loneliness um, are, are uh, you know, actually like the exception and not the rule. But we don't need our own take. The point is that focusing on trying to be different from our culture, I think, often leads to, to self-righteousness, 
um, and to resentment. It's also a really good way to be obnoxious. Um, and neither of these things, right, uh, help us in our practice of faithful presence within our culture. They limit our ability to be faithfully present in our culture and to actually build the kind of world that we want to build. And I think that Daniel is the patron saint of, of rejecting all of those things. Rejecting a spirit of self-righteousness, rejecting a spirit of hostility or resentment towards the culture. So here's what I suggest. It's really simple. Let's follow Daniel's example and let's commit ourselves to be faithfully present to the people and to the places and to the power that God has called us to. And let's really resist whatever need or pressure we have um, to simply be different for the sake of being different. And that's just not the point. Uh, again, it's a really good way to be obnoxious, but it's not the point. There will certainly be times when we may be considered different. We're going to see that in Daniel's life as well. But let's remember that difference is not a measure of our integrity. And like Daniel, even when things seem to be falling apart, let's not grow resentful, let's not grow defensive, let's not grow hostile. Instead, let's find creative and hopeful ways to maintain who we are. Right? Because in the words of Augustine, I think such as we are, such are the times. Would you pray with me? Holy God, like you were present to your servant Daniel in his time, we pray that you would be present to us, that we might be present to the world that you have placed us in. We pray that we would not take on a spirit of hostility, of resentment, but that we would quietly and creatively and hopefully find ways of maintaining who we are. We pray that as the world falls apart around us, that the center would hold in your son Jesus Christ in whom we live, move, and have our very being, in whose name we pray, even now. Amen.